Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Saul's father says, Arise and go look for the donkeys. And this may seem like a simple command from a father to a son, but this was no chance meeting because as a result of this command to go and to look for the donkeys, Saul was going to encounter something completely different. He was going to be looking for donkeys that were lost, but what he was going to find was a kingdom. everyone, and thank you for joining us today on Truth in Christ Radio. Israel's first king will be led to the throne by three lost donkeys. We have no idea how God will use the seemingly normal and annoying circumstances of life. Sometimes we make a mistake by ignoring the moving of God in our lives through circumstances. God wanted to use the situation to guide Saul, and God will often use circumstances in our lives the same way. We need to trust in God's goodness and in his ability to make all things work together for good. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson. Samuel would also go after Saul, after Saul's reign begins to wane. God tells him to go to Jesse and to anoint one of his sons. And you remember, it's recorded for us. We'll get there. In 1 Samuel 16, Samuel goes before Jesse's sons and he sees, uh, so it was when they came, all of his sons came, that Samuel looked at Eliab, who was the oldest, and he said to himself, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He was a tall guy, handsome, probably just like Saul. And Samuel had this thing with the outward appearance, didn't he? We, saw, we, we see it here, and we're also going to see it later on when he goes to visit Jesse's sons. He looks at Eliab, and he says, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And boy, I wish I could do that more consistently. You know, to look at people for who they really are in Christ, rather than my own presuppositions, my own mold that I put them in. We all do it. We put people in pigeonholes, in boxes. Oh, you're just like this. My experience shows me that this person is just like this. And so in your mind, you take them and you stick them in that little little pigeonhole. And we've got to be so careful. We have to be so careful. So, Kish, he had a handsome and choice son, back in our text now, verse 2 again. 
And his name was Saul, again, a handsome man. Verse 3, it says, Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Please take one of your servants with you and arise and go look for the donkeys. Go look for the donkeys. And, um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, let me read to you First uh, Samuel uh, chapter 16 again. You might just want to make a note off to the margin of your Bible, First Samuel 16, verse 11 and 12. But let me read it to you, and it'll make sense in just a moment. It says, And Samuel said to Jesse, we're going to see this later on, Are all the young men here? Are all your sons here, Jesse? And, and then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. David, that's who he was. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And so he sent and brought him in. And notice the description of David. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes, and good-looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. The one that Samuel didn't choose. You know, he's, he's there, and you can see the whole reign of Saul's kids, you know, the oldest, Eliab, and then going all the way down to the seventh. And, and he's like, and the Lord's not telling him which one it is. And he gets to the seventh, and he's like, Okay, there's got to be somebody else. Where is he? Well, he's out uh, picking up sheep droppings. He's out there in the field. You don't really want him, do you? Yeah, we really do want him. And I think Saul or Samuel in his heart is going, I did it again. <laughs> I'm always thinking of the, the tallest, the most beautiful. And so they bring David, and then the rest is history. You know, Samuel anoints him. But the reason I bring that up is because we look at these two verses here in, in 1 Samuel 16. And again, not to make too big of a deal of this, but Saul and David were both handsome. And yet the first time we hear of Saul, what is he doing? He's looking for his father's herd of donkeys. And then the first time that we see David um, here in 1 Samuel 16, which we're going to get to, what, what is he doing? He's among the flock. Samuel's looking for something that's lost, but where is David? They're both handsome, but one's looking, searching, and the other one is among, with the sheep. The sheep hear his voice. They know his voice. I remember being in uh, Bethlehem. Back in 2011, we went to Israel, and we stopped by this. Um, we were out in the middle, of the, out in the sticks in, in Israel, on the outskirts of Jerusalem, and we got into the precincts of Bethlehem, and a lot of rolling fields, really beautiful land, and the bus just stopped. And we stopped because we saw a shepherd, a, a young teenage boy and a young teenage girl, and they were out shepherding this huge flock of sheep out there. And they had the staff, you know, they had the ragged clothes. They were Palestinian kids. And it was so cool because we got out of the bus, and of course, they're thinking, cha-ching. And so they come over to us, and everyone's giving them a dollar, you know. And these kids are getting loaded, and, uh, and they're, they're so excited. And they're, they're, people are taking pictures with the sheep, you know. People are doing selfies with the sheep, you know. And, and we had this blast, and it was so wonderful to see them. But I remember one of the things that the, the young boy did as he was walking toward the bus. And, and again, it's just a beautiful day, and... A, you know, field full of sheep. And he goes, he makes this funny sound out of his mouth. And the sheep automatically run to him. And he'd keep walking and he'd make another sound and they'd all gather around him. And then there we were all together among, you know, all these American tourists around the sheep, you know, and everyone's having a blast. And it was a really sweet moment, honestly. But they knew his voice. They knew his voice. And David was among the sheep. He was among the people, in a sense. 
right? He was among them and, and, and yet Saul. And again, not to make too big of a deal of this, but I just like the parallel. One is kind of aloof looking for something, and the other one is where he should have been all along, doing what he should be doing. And my point is, is that David was a true shepherd. We're going to see that Saul was not really a true shepherd. He started off well, but he didn't finish well. And even in uh, verse 5 of our text uh, here this evening, it says, When they had come to the land of Ziph, uh, looking for Saul's father's donkey, Saul said to a servant who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. And again, don't mean to be too harsh on Saul here, but I think it's, it's possible that he was just a little more willing to abandon the project. He certainly did listen to his dad. At least he was out there. But now draw the comparison with David in 1 Samuel 17. As David is now standing before Saul, the king, David loves this man because David delivered them from the, the Philistine, Goliath. And so Saul wants to give him a job. And so in the process of getting that job, the interview kind of goes something like this. And then finally David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard. I struck it and I killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of Israel. And so David was just one of those people that when the flock was being attacked, he wasn't going to flee. He wasn't a hireling. He went right after the problem, and he took care of business. And unfortunately, Saul was not of that ilk. But I believe Saul had a relationship with the Lord. And I believe, in spite of what we're going to look at with the witch at Endor, I, I really believe that Saul is probably in heaven. There's some debate, and that's okay. Some people don't think he was a believer. Um, some people think he was. Um, I think it's very possible he's probably in glory. But that's we don't have to worry and debate about that. But David had a great courage and a faith in the Lord and was obedient. And we're going to find that Saul wasn't quite that way. And so notice at the end of verse 3 there, Saul's father says, Arise and go look for the donkeys. And this may seem like a simple command from a father to a son, but this was no chance meeting because as a result of this command to go and to look for the donkeys, Saul was going to encounter something completely different. He was going to be looking for donkeys that were lost, but what he was going to find was a kingdom. He was going to find a king and a kingdom in himself that God was going to a place upon him. And so it was no chance meeting. And I love what it says in Romans 8.28, one of my favorite verses. We know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purposes. That means if you love God, that everything that happens in your life will work together for good. And you may not know it now, something really horrible could happen to you, and you're thinking, why me, God? I'm one of your children. Why did you allow me to go through that horrible experience? And I think later on in life, he's going to make it click in our head. And, and after you minister to somebody, after you give your testimony, after whatever it is, ministering to somebody who went through the same thing, and then the Lord's going to say, remember when you had that question? Lord, why me? 
It's because of the 12 times that you've shared that with people who have been through the same thing. And you know how much that ministered to them? Because they saw you victorious on the other side of it, no longer wallowing in your pity, no longer uh, being completely dilapidated and despondent. No, you were a victor, more than a victor in Christ. And you were my lightning rod, and I used you in such a powerful way. But all things work together for the good. I love what it says in John chapter 3, verse 8. Jesus speaking, he says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. I find that being born again is one of the most wonderful things, not only because I know where I'm going, but also in everyday life. I find myself making decisions, prayerfully making decisions, even things that I don't even want to do, and I end up doing them. And in doing so, even almost against really what my heart wants to do, I find myself in a situation where I'm actually a help to someone else, and I could never have ordered, orchestrated that in my own strength. Does that happen to you? I think it's happened to most of you, if not all of you. At several times in your life, something happens. You're driving along the highway, and all of a sudden you're thinking everything's going great, and all of a sudden you get a flat tire, and it's the middle of February, and it's freezing. And somebody pulls over and helps you, and you're thinking, God, that you know, it happened close to where you worked and, and a conversation strikes up and the person's like, how can, you be so ex- how can you be so okay about how this is happening? This is like the worst thing that could happen to you, or at least today anyway. Who is this? How, how do you, why, you know, who are you? I'm a believer in Christ. He loves you, by the way. And then you see somebody melt before your eyes. Was that a chance meeting or was that a divine appointment? Was that flat tire? Maybe there was an, you know, you just never can tell. And I love that. It's the way the Lord works. He works in mysterious ways. So don't ever underestimate those times when you are called to be someplace or find yourself doing something out of the ordinary only to realize that God has set you up for a divine appointment. I find that sometimes the the times that I'm mostly inconvenienced, the times that I don't want to be doing something, those are usually the times that God says, I want to do something with your life. Are you willing? And to be honest with you, there's times I'm like, no, I'm really not willing, thank you very much. I want to have control over my own life. And God goes, but I thought you were one of mine. I thought you were bought with a price. Well, I am, but I still want to have my own rules. Still want to do my own thing. I still want to be top dog, right? And God goes, Well, you can if you'd like, but your life is not going to be nearly as exciting. Is there really anything more exciting than being led by the Lord when you do something? And it fits right in with what's going to happen here shortly. You don't even know why you're going. You're going and you find yourself doing some amazing thing, saying some amazing thing, encountering somebody, ministering to them. You didn't even woke up that morning. You didn't even know you were going to be there. And all of a sudden, you're on another part of the city doing something, and you're like, how did this happen? Strange change of events. And all we have to be is led by the Spirit of God. Led by the Spirit of God. And not digging our heels in and say, I will not do this because I'm late. Or I've got to do something. And maybe you have to be at work. You know, I mean, it's good to be at work, you know. But if it's your day off and you've got errands to do, and all of a sudden the Lord throws a wrench in the middle of your plans, of your, you know, your little list that you have, are you, are you so stringent? Are you so digging your heels in? I will not. And you know what? When we do that, we find ourselves shrinking like a raisin. 
our faith shrinking like a raisin. And then we wonder why our experience in Christ, our experience as a Christian is not better than what it is. It's because I've dug my heels in so much that I no longer allow him to use me. But believe me, the more you are used by God, the greater your life is going to be. The more you allow God to use you, the greater purpose you're going to have. And is there any greater purpose? I mean, really, think about it. Some people go to their jobs day in and day out, and they hate their jobs, and they're getting paid really well for it too. Six figures, seven figures a year, and they just hate their job. It's a prison to them. And yet God can give a Christian such great fulfillment in doing a small job. they just making ends meet, and yet their life is so rich. They're so used by God, and they're on fire. Let God use you more. Wake up and say, and I need to do this too. Wake up and say, Lord, today use me somehow. I don't care how you do it. You use me, whatever you do. I belong to you. You know what I got to do. You know I have a job to do. Within those confines, Lord, do whatever you want and help me to be willing and to take on those things that I normally wouldn't because it's just inconvenient. Sometimes the greatest worship service in your life is when you do something and you are not excited about it, you don't want to do it, and it's inconvenient. That's what they call a sacrifice. Isn't that not what worship is? It's never worship when it's easy for me. It's never worship when it's something I thought about in advance, but it's worship when it challenges me to get out of myself. It's real worship when it costs me something. So, verse 4, he passed through the mountains looking for his father's sheep, the mountains of Ephraim, and through the land of Shalisha, but they could not find them. They passed through the land of Shealim, and they were not there. Because remember, Saul of Gabeah, that Gabeah was where he lived uh, with, um, with his father Kish. And Samuel was just a little bit north, east of that in Ramah, just less than 10 miles northeast of uh, where Saul was. But there he is, he's passing through the land of the Benjamites, but he didn't find them. And then verse 5, when they had come to the land of Zuf, which Zuf is actually a town, it's not really known exactly where it is, but it's very close to Ramah. So they've been traveling for nearly 10 miles from where Saul was from. And Saul finally says to his servant, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. And he said to him, Look, and the servant said to Saul, Look now, there is a city... In this city there is a man of God, and he is an honorable man, and all he says will surely come to pass. So let us go there, and perhaps he can show us the way and the way that we should go. And it's interesting to me that Samuel, by this time, as an old man, is very popular in Israel. And yet the land uh, or the, the town of Ramah, everybody in Israel would know that's where Saul li- or Samuel lives. That's where Samuel the prophet lives. And yet there seems to be kind of a disconnect with Saul. His servants seemed to know about it, but Saul was kind of out to lunch. Maybe he was more of a hands-on guy, not very spiritual. I don't know what it was, but he didn't really know who Samuel was. In fact, we're going to learn as we go on that he meets him. He doesn't even know it's him until Samuel reveals himself to him. And so he seems to be oblivious to some spiritual things. So in verse 7 it says, Saul said to his servant, But look, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread in our vessels is all gone, and there's no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? And this was no doubt a custom in this time. And, you know, people mean well. People mean well. (laughs) 
But to bring a man of God, uh, you know, a prophet, a gift of some kind, I know that was probably just a, a custom, and it, and it was. There's no doubt about it. But we also see in it the unfortunate problem in the heart of man and his willingness to give in order to get something from God. You don't have to give God anything. Why did Jephthah make the rash vow that the first thing that he sees coming out of his house, he's going to sacrifice to the Lord? And what's the first thing he sees when he comes back from battle? His only daughter. I mean, give me a break. I think that's one time I would probably just say, you know what, Lord? I'm a fool. And the Lord will go, yeah, pretty much. I'm not going to kill her, Lord. I'm not going to sacrifice her. Forgive me. I think that's what I would do. But Jephthah was probably a more honorable man than I would be. There's a debate on what really happened there, so I don't want to get into that. But the thing is, we don't have to give to God to get something from him. He's done everything for us. We simply need to receive it. So we should never do something or give something to think that we can twist God's arm and get him to do something. What does it say in Ephesians 2? This is very important, folks. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift from God. It can never be of works. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do good enough. There's no amount of things I can give to God to somehow equal the scales. It's impossible. It's a fool's errand. Don't even try. And some people in the world, they want to have some stake in it. They want to say, I want to have some stake in my salvation. I'm not going to do this anymore, and I'm not going to do this. And you know, and they bring out their list of things that they're going to do, and it's all humanism. It's all confidence in self, and God is saying, will you just give it a break? Because within five minutes of you coming to me, you're going to break all those things. You're going to fail on that you know, responsibility. You're going to fail on that. You're going to fail on that. And the things that you said back three weeks ago, that's not even going to happen. You already forgot about it. Hey, listen, don't even worry. Have a simple faith. You don't have to make vows to God. I've made them, and you have too. You don't need to do those things. But God initiates, and he works even in spite of this. What does it say in Romans 5, verse 8? I love this verse. God commends his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Does that sound like we had to do something before he died for us? It's like we could make all these promises. Can you imagine seeing all of humanity standing before God and say, God, will make you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and we'll even toast it on both sides. If you just give us salvation, he's like, no, I don't want that. How about I do it for you? How about I do everything for you, and all you do is receive? That's the stumbling block of humanity. People have a hard time receiving by grace through faith, realizing they have nothing to do with it. And even the faith that you have that God gave you to believe in him. So really, is there anything that we can boast in? No, he's given everything. He's given us the faith to even believe in him. And he's given us the, 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 the great grace of once we do believe in him, to live everlasting life, to have everlasting life. I don't know about you, but that is the best package. That's why it's called the gospel. That's why it's called good news. Nobody has good news like that. There is only one gospel. Amen? 
It is very good news. And I love what it says. You know, and, and notice that even before we're aware of the problem, God already had the solution. What does it tell us in Revelation 13, verse 8? It says, And all that dwell upon the earth, this is speaking of the, the, the time of the tribulation around the midpoint area, it says that all that dwell upon the earth shall worship the Antichrist, whose names were not written in the book of life, of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Are you kidding me? Does that mean that God, before the foundation of time, already had a rescue plan in place? Yes, that's exactly what it means. He knew, he knew exactly what was going to happen in the garden. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585 586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.